Hello, everyone, and welcome to Bible Quest. This is the Wednesday edition, and Jeff, take it away. Welcome to the journey through the study that we'll be doing today of God's Word. We're going to be talking about um, the idea of there being a pattern in the Bibles that we need to uh, follow. And uh, Joe Works is going to probably lead this discussion a little bit. I'm Jeff Smelson, in Pennsylvania. Joe Works is in Elmire, New York, and Chase Byers is in Fishers, Indiana. Good afternoon, guys. Hey, glad to be on with both of you again. Uh, thankful for this opportunity. Um, so, yeah, talking about patterns in uh, the Bible, um, there is some discussion and, and maybe always has been uh, regarding uh, patterns. Uh, where should we find them? Uh, how rigid should we follow them? Um, are they intended to be sort of just guidelines for the way that we live? Or should we see them as as kind of rules that God has expectations for us to uh, uh, to follow? And um, there is some challenge in uh, in answering those questions because even amongst the three of us, we may not always agree on what is a pattern, um, uh, what is a part of a certain pattern that is that God expects us to adhere to today. Um, you know, there's not just a very simple, uh, you know, ABC listing of here are the things that God wants you to do, you know, all in, in one chart or something like that. There's plenty of PowerPoint uh, presentations that are uh, given by preachers today that have that sort of thing. And I might even agree with a lot of those, but they're having to put together several different passages to come up with that. And some people would object that those passages aren't intended to be seen as uh, all folding together to make one main uh, pattern for for worship or for um, the family or or the organization of the church and uh, you know what what other things might we put into those categories there? Does that make sense? The, the question of what is mm -hmm. a, what is a biblical pattern? Sure, sure. Uh, I had a thought as you were talking. I'm not sure I'm going to remember how I thought it, but I'm not sure I would say it's not um, so simple as I would say it's fairly simple. It's just not articulated in a bullet format or in legalese. Um, it's not articulated as our, our laws get articulated. Mm -hmm. It really yeah. is articulated more in what you would expect if somebody were writing a story and saying you need th this is a template for how you need to behave. Yeah. This is a this is a, a an object lesson for you. Yeah, but uh, I think also one of the ways to look at it is I don't think anyone would say that God isn't a God of order or a God of, of a pattern of any kind. I mean, you, you even look at the first two pages of the Bible and you look at the days of creation and you see order and structure and this beautiful pattern that's that's laid out very simply for how God put everything in place. You move on to the book of Exodus and again, you see a God of order and pattern and structure. And so I don't think anyone would contend that God doesn't have patterns or um or, or orders for us, uh, but it's just figuring out what they are, 
I guess, on this side of the cross. The, you know, you, you think you think in terms of too narrow an audience. I mean, there are certainly people I think who would say that this universe is an order of, is, is a is an example of chaos. I think they're wrong, yeah. and and I think that there are people who would say God is a god of chaos. Um, people, I mean, when, when, when we think just broadly about how people in the world think, did you guys see Arnold Schwarzenegger's comments in the news this morning? Um, I saw something yesterday, uh, some comments that he had made in reference to God and so forth. Yeah, I didn't fill me in. Well, it's not so much about pattern. It's just the idea that he thinks anybody who tells you that there's anything beyond death is lying to you. And, and all I'm saying is, that in the larger world, there are all kinds of people with all kinds of ideas. Um, so, and, and the thing is, the world is influencing how people who profess to be Bible believers think about things. And so I, th- I think we have to be prepared to run into people who don't see order uh, in sure. the Bible. Yeah, absolutely. And so, uh, I think you're right. I think any, sorry to jump in, but I need to add this. It's your show. You go ahead and jump in. (laughs) Chase, I think your your point is well taken that any reasonable person looking open-mindedly at the Bible is going to see a picture of order and a God of order. Um, Mm -hmm. The problem is we just have unreasonable people who don't have open minds. So, yeah. Sure. Um, and, and so as we're talking about this idea of, of order and pattern and so forth, for those of you that are listening in, if, if you have a particular train of thought or a, a specific uh, aspect of this question, uh, please send that in to us um, uh, in whatever format you can. And uh, we'd like to particularly address the things that you might be concerned about. So by all means, uh, be a part of, uh, of our studies if you would like in that way. So you mentioned earlier, Jeff, uh, and I, I really appreciated that clarification, um, that we don't have the bullet points. Um, if, if somebody were going to argue that, where might they go to say, oh, but there are bullet points when God does want to uh, stipulate a pattern or something? Qualifications of elders? Oh, okay. Yeah, that's okay. Good. Those so both, the, yeah, yeah, both of those. I, I, excellent. Uh, let, let's maybe deal with both of those. So the Ten Commandments. When we read the Ten Commandments, we find out, for example, what is it? The Fourth Commandment is to uh, keep the, the Sabbath, Sabbath keep it holy. Right. right. Um, and we find that in Exodus twenty uh, that we that needs to be observed, and and that's it. So that's the bullet point. Um, just keep the Sabbath, and uh, you know. We're not told any of the other details about that. No, it quite the contrary. Um, when we get over to Exodus 31, you know, you basically the idea is don't stop reading until you get to the end. Uh, because he says keep the Sabbath, but then when you get over to Exodus 31, he says, Whoever violates the Sabbath shall be put to death. Mm-hmm. Well, that's not in those quote bullet points that are given in Exodus 20. And so as God is, is giving the Israelites these rules or the, this pattern to follow, it's not just this list that Moses brought down from the mountain, but it's everything else that Moses told the people 
that is incorporated within those. You know, they, the, the, the laws given in chapters 21 through 24 um, or those further explanations and details that are given later on in the, in the book and in the book of Leviticus help us to see that there is a pattern. And yet what God wants us to do is take the totality of that subject. And so we just, if we want to know about the Sabbath, well, we know we need to keep the Sabbath and then we keep reading and we find out what that means about working. We find out what that means about violating it. We read about what that means regarding uh, the, the, the penalty for it. And then we and we keep reading and we get to the New Testament and we find out that there's been misunderstandings and misapplications. And so Jesus says that the Sabbath wasn't made for uh, the that man wasn't made for the Sabbath, but the Sabbath was made for man. Uh, and so we need to read if we want to know what God wants out of this. And, and it's just a great example. We think of the Ten Commandments as bullet points, and yet they it, it is part of the Bible story. If you want to know the, the totality of what that law is, mm-hmm. so so I like I like your example here. You have a, so to speak a bullet point, but we nor they really understood exactly how to keep the Sabbath uh, from that bullet point alone. But what we have are stories. So, for okay. example, in in Numbers fifteen, you have the story of the man who went out to gather wood on the Sabbath, um, and and he was stoned to death. Oh, wow. So this is serious. We got to be careful about this. Uh, in, in the New Testament, we have the story of the disciples of Jesus picking grain on the Sabbath. And they're re- criticized for that as if they violated the Sabbath. And, and Jesus then has a response about that. Both of those are stories that we have to read and understand. And from those stories, we gain an understanding of how to apply the Sabbath, if we were Jews living under the law. And and so I think that this is a good example of the fact that even when the Bible does give a thou shalt kind of a thing, it's still the narratives from which we learn uh, how to apply these things. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and we maybe think about some of those latter bullet points of the Ten Commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. What does Jesus say in regard to to those things when we get to the Sermon on the Mount? Um, uh, yeah. That it's the it's the heart that God is really wanting. Um, uh, when we talk about uh, marriage and divorce, you know that that's a question that is given to Jesus, and he says, "Well, what did Moses say?" They go back to Deuteronomy twenty four, but Jesus says, "Yes, but from the beginning." Jesus takes them all the way back to Genesis 2. We need to see the totality, what God is saying in full about any topic. And so it's going to be a lifelong project of studying, trying to understand what God's will is for us. But we but we don't just throw it away and say, ah, but there's not a set of bullet points. And in fact, I, sometimes I've heard the idea of in the Old Testament, you had these bullet points. It was so easy for them to know. No, they, they had to keep reading. They had mm-hmm. to keep listening. They had to keep studying. They needed prophets to come along and to teach them. For the most part, the prophets aren't telling them anything new. They're pointing out the things that they had not been doing according to the law of Moses. And so the same thing is true today. Think about the bullet points. Chase was mentioning the, the qualification of, of elders. Where would, where would we find those bullet points, Chase? First uh, Timothy 3 or Titus 1. Uh, and, and those are identical there? 
Uh, no, they're actually just a slight, slight bit different. Yeah. Uh, and so even when we talk about the bullet points on something like that, that seems really clear, what we're seeing is more of a big picture. And then mm -hmm. I would suggest that you have other qualifications that are given in passages like Acts the 20th chapter or in First Peter chapter 5. And basically, any time that we read about elders, we're going to read about their qualifications or mm -hmm. I prefer the word characteristics, the, the character of the man. Um, uh, and so if we want to know, then, then we read about them. And then we might even say, let's go back to passages like Exodus 17 to see about the elders in the nation of yeah. Israel. And, you know, we begin to see this pattern of God wanting older, wiser men to guide his people according to the law that he has given. That's a that's a pattern that has been going on basically forever. I even think about some of the epistles you read in the New Testament. It's amazing to me. I do this anytime I come to an epistle, but in the opening I don't know, eight, nine, 10, sometimes 15 verses of an epistle, you can almost see a breakdown of what the writer's uh, goal or agenda is throughout the whole book. I think you see that, especially in the book of Philippians and this opening prayer that he has. And you could almost bullet point the different things that Paul wants and hopes and prays for the church in Philippi. But then as you read the letter, you realize he starts to get into what all those things look like. You got to keep reading. I think I think you see something similar in First Corinthians. Um, so I appreciate that encouragement. That w once you kind of get to those lists in the Old Testament, I think you see the same thing in the New Testament. Once you see the list, keep reading. It normally expounds on it more, right? And and so it, we don't just throw it all away and say so. There's not the bullet points in these things. And some people would even argue that First Timothy and Titus maybe because they're different then really there's no standard. I don't know if you guys have ever heard that idea before. That that's, that's like throwing the baby out with the bathwater though, right? That's a horrible argument. Well, but but it's an appealing argument for those who don't want to be bound by what they would say, bound by the traditions of uh, uh, the church. Um, uh, and of course, what we want to do is keep coming back and saying, we don't care about the traditions of the church. We care about what God's word has said, the traditions that he has passed down to his people. There are biblical traditions, godly traditions. We do need to be concerned about those. Um, and, and so we look at those passages and we say, well, they must mean something. And so we see the differences that are given in them because no two men are going to be exactly the same. But as we look at that picture in 1 Timothy 3, imagine if we have a row of men that are being considered as elders. We look at the list in 1 Timothy 3. We look at the list in Titus 1. And if we were going to select from that group of men, say there's five men that, that are standing before us, would we choose, say, numbers 1, 3, and 5 that meet the qualifications of 1 Timothy 3, but only, uh, say, 1 and 3, or maybe 1, 2, and 3 uh, meet the qualifications of Titus? No. The same men would meet both qualifications. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and, and so I, I just think that's helpful to understand that that's what Paul is intending. That's what the Holy Spirit, the inspired word of God is, is intending as we go through that. So I don't I don't know if my question is about to even make sense, but also understanding. Is it important to understand the form of literature 
that you're reading from. Let me explain what I mean by using elders as a for instance. So in the book of Acts, it's a, it's in Acts 14, when Paul goes back through all the cities he just preached in, and it says he just appointed elders in every, in every church in the cities that he went through, right? Mm-hmm. It doesn't tell us what those men were, what they looked like. It just says he appointed elders. We wouldn't then just read that and go, oh, okay, well, I'm going to take it upon myself to go around to churches and start appointing elders. But that's expounded on more in First Timothy and Titus because there is instruction being given. You have narrative happening in Acts 14, but you have instruction being given in First Timothy and Titus. So you kind of got two different forms of, of reading. Does that make sense? I, I think that's exactly right. That, that's really helpful. And, and it's, that's the way that we function. Think about parenting. You know, we, we give our children uh, instructions and then we expound upon those instructions as their learning grows, as uh, their their world widens. You know, um, we, we talk about maybe something like safety. And uh, so, you know, you, you need to, you know, maybe the, the bullet point is you, you need to uh, play safely. You, you need to, to act in a safe manner. Well, at a little age, at a young age, that's going to be don't play ball in the street. At an older age, that's going to be don't drive 90 and a 35. Um, uh, you know, so there's going to be points expounded upon that basic rule. That's the way that, that life functions. And those that are in authority, and maybe that's really what it needs to come down to, is to step back and say, if God has authority, then do we need to respect his patterns? Because I, I really think that that's some of the question is that, that God doesn't have authority over the church or over my life. I, I can do what I want. God has said these things, but I don't really have to, to follow them in that fashion. So my question is, Joe, do you have any passages on this topic that where it sounds like that the apostles in their writings and in their leaving these things for churches where they expected these kinds of things to be a pattern for them. What, so, uh, uh, what passages would you suggest? Yeah. So I think first Corinthians is maybe, uh, one of the ideal, uh, passages to, uh, uh or books to, to note in that respect. Um, you have several times about a half a dozen times as Paul is talking about the things that he expects from the church in Corinth that he's either already said or he's going to say to other churches. And so uh, we can just read through some of these. I I think they're important to make note. Uh, In chapter 4, Paul is talking in in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, and uh, he says in verse 17, For this reason I sent Timothy to you, who is my beloved and faithful son in the Lord, who will remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach everywhere in every church. And so when Timothy gets there, he's going to let you guys know what I've been saying everywhere that I've been. Um, uh, you know, this isn't I don't I don't think this is hyperbole. He's saying I teach everywhere in every church. I think he's being quite specific with the language there. First Corinthians four and in verse 17. The next one, I think, is in chapter seven and in verse 17. He says and this is in the, the context of, of marriage. But as God has distributed to each one, as the Lord has called each one, so let him walk. And so I ordain in all the churches. 
Um, the New King James says ordain. What does your all's translation say there? Assign. Um, oh, sorry. Or, uh, command. Ordain. Yeah, okay. Uh, command, ordain, direct. Um, uh, that's the idea. It's what he's doing to, to each congregation. First Corinthians chapter 11 and in verse 16. But if anyone seems to be contentious, we have no such custom, nor do the churches of God. Um, uh, there's a pattern uh, that he's talking about in, in regard to uh, these topics. Chapter 14 and in verse 33. 1433. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. And then finally, in uh, chapter 16 and in verse 1. Now concerning the collection of the for the saints, as I've given orders to the churches of Galatia, so you must do also. So especially these first five, right? 417, 717, 11, 16, 14, 33. This is what he said to all of these churches. And uh, then regarding the collection, that's going to be a more specific situation for a, a very limited scenario, the current event. But he says, this is the same thing I told the churches of Galatia to do. And so uh, you're expected to do that. I want you to do the, the same thing as well. Uh, it seems pretty hard to argue against a pattern when Paul just keeps saying, this is what I want you to do, what all the other churches, what I'm teaching everywhere that I go, the same sort of thing. Well, this this is an important point that you're making. Because the concept that so many have today is, um, I'm going to go church shopping. I want to find a church that suits me. All these churches are fine, but I would kind of like a church that, this, that, and the other thing. And somebody else would like a different sort of church, this, that, and the other thing. And while sure, each congregation may have its own personality, so to speak, depending upon the makeup, the congregation is supposed to be made up of people who are God's people. And as God's people, they are part of the body of Christ. Jesus is the head. And so they are to be directed in their individual conduct and in how they conduct themselves collectively in congregations by the head. And so what you're showing is when they do that, there is a uniformity expected. I don't mean in, in every detail, but in terms of what is taught, what is practiced uh, in, in those churches, it's the, it's the same thing in every church. Paul didn't go to Corinth and say, well, I think you you would do well if you be a traditional church and then go to Philippi and say, why, you're in a you're in a you're in a, a vibrant area with lots of young people. Why don't you be a kind of a, um, a non-traditional church with with a different emphasis, uh, a more kind of a hip church? You know, I don't know if anybody says hip anymore, but um, no. but that, that there, there is just fundamentally a concept in our world today that is perfectly natural and normal that all the various churches should be different flavors and uh, different emphases, and you should just find one that suits you. That's not the picture we see in the New Testament. Right, yeah, quite, quite the contrary. Uh, if, if, if Christ is to be our head, then uh, the, the body uh, needs to be fashioned after his instructions, not our own. All right, so I'd say, all right, Joe, that's just in First Corinthians. They had a lot of problems, and so Paul was clearly just trying to get something across to the Corinthians. Where else do you see this kind of thing? Well, I, I would first deal with that question. He's not just dealing with their problems. He's saying 
these are the things I've taught consistently. Um, uh, and so, you know, that's not the case. That's a good point. Um, yeah. he is, you've, uh, you've convinced me. Okay, good. good. <laughs> then, 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 then I don't need to answer the rest of your question because I've already convinced you. So. <laughs> I, I, don't ahead, know, I don't know how much time spent on this, but to some extent, this is a question of should we look to the Bible and see examples that we should feel that we should follow? Or should we only look for a list of thou shalts and thou shalt nots? Um, and you don't have to read very far in the Bible before you see uh, an emphasis upon look at these examples. In Hebrews, the 11th chapter has a list of people who are great examples of faith from the Old Testament. And the point of going through that is to say, follow their example. Now, you do get to the end of that, and he mentions several people. He mentions Samson. There's certainly some things in Samson's conduct and behavior um, that that are not things we should emulate. But you have to ask the question, what is it being what is being said about the people that are mentioned that we should emulate? And it's it's their faith. It's they're putting their trust in God's word and doing what God says. That's what we should emulate. And then you look at a couple of passages. I'm just going to mention here real quickly. Acts chapter 20, when Paul uh, stopped in at Miletus to meet with the church, the elders of the church at Ephesus. In verse 35, he says, "In all things I gave you an example that so laboring you ought to help the weak and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he himself said it's more blessed to give than to receive. And then later on in Philippians chapter 3, um, he talks about marking them that so walk, even as you have us for an example, be imitators together of me and mark them that so walk. Imitate me and look at people who, who imitate me and model yourselves accordingly. Um, so just fundamentally, we should come to the Bible. Now we can we can get into some interesting discussions about how do we know what examples to follow and what examples not follow. But fundamentally, God intends for us to have examples to pattern ourselves after. Amen. Exactly. Uh, got a comment that uh, those who are, quote, church shopping, uh, uh, quote, will be making a choice based on a particular pattern in that church that they like. Uh, and so what they end up doing is following a, a if I understand that question, uh, that statement, I, I, I certainly agree with it. If I do, uh, that what they're doing is looking for something that matches what they already want, right? Um, uh, which is which is just a great danger today, um, uh, you know, because there is every flavor, as you mentioned earlier, Jeff, um, uh, and so people can do that. But how do we know that we're pleasing God if we're doing that sort of thing? You know, if uh, that seems rather presumptuous to to come along and say, well, I. I believe that this is God's word, but I don't know that we really need to follow anything in it. Um, uh, we just need to be good people. Well, who defines what good people are and what do good people do? You know, all of a sudden we become just serving our own bellies. Uh, and some of those things may be, they, they may coincide with what God wants, but they may not. And, and my comments about church shopping are not to belittle the idea of looking around and being careful in in considering right. what church to to be a part of or to align myself with, but it's to your point, Joe, and maybe to the point of whoever sent in that comment. What is it I'm looking for? What standard do I compare what I see in a particular congregation against? What do I compare it to? And and 
what you're pointing out is some people are just comparing it to what they themselves want. But what we should be doing is looking at the Bible. And then when we do that, it kind of comes back to this idea of a pattern. We see a pattern of how churches should be organized and what they should be doing in the Bible. That's what we should look for. And I think it's helpful to know in the first century, there were people already kind of balking at the authority of the elders. And uh, first and second Corinthians are a great example of that kind of what's going on in the background there with some false, false apostles. But I think about third John, and I'm actually curious what your all's translation says there in third John nine, this is the apostle John writing. Uh, he says, I wrote something to the church, but Diotrephes who loves to have first place among them does not receive our authority. This is why if I come, I will remind him of the works he is doing, slandering us with malicious words, and he is not satisfied with that. He not only refuses to welcome fellow believers, but even stops those who want to do so and expels them from the church. Does your all's translation say at the end of verse 9, he does not receive our authority? Uh, mine says does not receive us. Yeah, mine says receives us not. Okay. So, but regardless, I mean, I would imagine the my my version is supplying this word uh, to kind of say, receive us apostles, receive our apostleship. Um, and so, I think simply my point is, is that even in the first century, there were people who were who were rebelling against the pattern, against the standard that the apostles wanted to lay out, and uh, he has to call Diotrephes out for this. Um, you know, I think there's another way of maybe uh, looking at this idea. Uh, let me mention there's a couple of verses that somebody has uh, suggested that, that we consider. Second uh, Timothy 1 and in verse 13, hold fast the pattern of sound words which you have heard from me in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. That good thing which was committed to you keep by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. He goes on in verse 14 to say, so you have this, uh, this sense of a pattern uh, um, uh, that Paul had delivered to, to Timothy, that he expected Timothy to uh, to keep. Um, maybe even couple that with something that he had said in his first letter to, to Timothy. Uh, notice 1 Timothy 3 and in verse 14. These things I write to you, though I hope to come to you shortly. But if I'm delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. And so he says, I'm writing these things. I, I want to come. We're going to talk about these things when I get there. But I wanted to make sure that you had these. And so I, I put them in the, this uh, this epistle so that you would know how to conduct yourself in the church. Now, what had he just been talking about right before that? The qualifications of elders, the qualifications of deacons, um, the way that men and women ought to behave. You know, that's the the context that, that he's describing uh, here in uh, 1 Timothy 2 and 3. Uh, and he says, I'm, I've written these things to you so that you would know how to behave in the church. That seems like a pattern to me, uh, coupling that along with what was said there in 2 Timothy 1, 13. So thoughts on any of that, guys? So, all right. So if... If we look at the Bible, we say, okay, it's giving us patterns. There are narratives in which we're supposed to learn lessons. We're supposed to apply those things. One of the questions people come up with is, well, there are lots of things in the Bible that are not good things. And there are other things in the Bible that are just neutral things. Some of you, so you guys are familiar with a, 
uh, with the sermon. Uh, Paul did some good oh, things. Yeah. Paul did some bad things, and Paul yes. did some things. Yes. Uh, and and that's a satirical kind of thing that somebody did once upon a time. And yet, just in that title, there is a point. There are things in the Bible that were just told, and they're not good or bad one way or the other. They're just part of what we needed to know to understand something. There's some other things we're told that where people behave badly, and we're not always told in the immediate context that what they did was uh, a bad thing. For example, um, in Genesis chapter 34, when Simeon and Levi avenge their sister and they deceive uh, the men of Shechem and, and they kill them all, uh, Jacob is obviously upset, but the chapter ends with the, the brothers asking the question, well, should, should they treat our sister the way they did? And obviously the answer is no. And so you wonder, uh, when Reuben goes in and sleeps with his father's concubine, Bilhah, uh, it doesn't comment in that context as to whether that was a right thing or a wrong thing or, or a neutral thing. It just, it just mentions it. And so the point is, the Bible does sometimes talk about things people did that were wrong. And sometimes it doesn't even bother to tell us in the immediate context that it was wrong. And then other times, of course, the Bible is telling us about good things people did. And so the question, all of that to say, people who want to just abandon the idea that, that there's a pattern for us to follow, they'll say, well, how would you know which, which patterns, which examples? Because some of them aren't good. And so there are challenges in all of this, but I think the important thing is that we keep studying to, to know that. I think one of the answers to your question there, and I, I do think that sometimes I'm, I, I'm left struggling to know exactly um, uh, which item should, uh, am I expected to follow today? Um, now, but as if we go back to that, our original point of the Sabbath, you know, I am going to recognize I need to keep the Sabbath. I know that if I work on the Sabbath that I can be killed. Exodus 31, I ought to be killed if I'm an Israelite. Um, but does that mean then that I can't even pick up a some grain and, and pop it into my mouth? You know, I, I might struggle with some of that application. And so I need to keep studying. I need to go and, uh, and ask others. Uh, you know, that's what we find in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. Uh, inquire further. Uh, about what God's meaning behind that is. But let me press the point. So let's take the example you just mentioned about picking up some grain on the Sabbath day and, and sticking it in your mouth. Um, somebody would say, well, you, you're guilty of harvesting, you're guilty of threshing, so forth and so on. Suppose suppose you're you're studying your Bible and you come across the guy who picked up sticks to to, to make a fire and he was put to death for doing that. Mm -hmm. And you yeah, came to the conclusion in what you said just a moment ago, I think you came to the conclusion that it would be all right to pick up some grain as you're walking past the grain field and, and, and munch on it as you go. How did you come to that conclusion? Uh, because that's the example that we have in Mark, the second chapter. In uh, other words, yeah. you, you weren't, you weren't content just to look at three verses in one chapter and walk right. away befuddled. You kept studying and, and you find the answer. Right. And I think that in most cases, the, the examples I mentioned, Reuben sleeping with his father's concubine. Well, later on in Genesis 49, 
we see that when his father blesses and curses the sons and talks about what's going to happen to them in the future, and obviously that's coming from God, Reuben did wrong. Uh, similarly with Simeon and Levi. Once we get to Genesis 49, it's clear they did wrong. And that was from God's perspective. And so the point is that while we, while it's glib to say, well, a lot of things that people did in the Bible weren't good. So how do we know what to emulate? You know what? If, if you study the whole thing, you'll come away with a pretty good understanding with, with whether with, with, something was wrong, if it was wrong. Uh, you just have to be diligent and look at the whole picture. So that leaves you with, well, what about the neutral examples? How do you sort out the things that we're just told because we need to know it happened versus the things that we're told because we're supposed to emulate them? And, and again, sometimes that is difficult to uh, mm -hmm. to know for certain. And so we pray. I, uh, we, yeah. we ask for guidance. I think we need to make sure that we keep coming back to God, both in prayer and in the study of the scriptures, asking for, I, for wisdom. I think about Paul in, in Philippians 1. He says, and I pray this, that your love will keep on growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment so that you may approve of the things that are superior and be pure and blameless in the day of Christ. That's, that's a prayer we constantly got to be praying is, is I, I need clarity. I need knowledge so that I can discern between what's good and what's evil. Well, where do we get that clarity? We don't just pull it out in air. Where do we get it? Right. right. So that faith, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Um, uh, we're going to, our faith is going to be strengthened. But even in those scenarios, I may be carrying some baggage with me that maybe others aren't. And so my conscience is not going to allow me to do something that maybe your conscience would allow you to do. I need to make sure that in those things, I, if if I have a question about it, then I need to not do it. If I can't do it by faith, then that's going to be a sinful act on from, from my part. Romans, the 14th chapter teaches. So there, there may be some, I don't really like the idea of gray areas, but they may be gray to me. Um, uh, you know, they, they may not be clear yet in my mind so i need to not act presumptuous in those things i also need to act with humility and be patient with other people and realize that i don't have all of the answers um and so i think as we go along we're not suggesting that we've got everything figured out but what we're saying is we need to keep coming back there is plenty of evidence we've already talked about that there are patterns and and to just flat out deny that is is really to reject the bible as a whole um, it really is it really is but but let's let's go back though let so i i mentioned you got some bad things some good things and just some things and and we talked a little bit about bad things if you read enough of the bible you'll figure out but most of the time it's fairly easy oh th this was a bad thing i don't want to follow that and then what about the things you both, I think both of you earlier in this conversation talked about where you have instruction. And then later on, you have that instruction fleshed out. Uh, Joe, your example was uh, the 10 commandments and remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. Later on, we get that fleshed out and Chase, I think, and you talked about the qualifications for elders. And then again, Joe, you went back and said, you know, we, we have those bullet points, but then we kind of get that fleshed out. So, one thing, if we want to know what really is something to emulate, anytime you have an instruction that gets fleshed out, that's fairly easy. 
now we know, okay, that's something I should, I should be following. Um, are there, are there, and, and this is a question that gets debated. People say, is there anything that's meant to be a pattern that we're to follow where there's no underlying instruction? Have you ever heard that question? So, something pretty similar. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, sometimes, sometimes the instruction is embedded in the example itself. Um, and it, and how would you know? How would you know? Uh, I don't know. I'll throw this out. This is a point that I, I believe and and I have, I think it's, it's a, it's a good principle and you guys can say whether you agree or not, but when you have something in a narrative that two things, it, there's no need, there's no apparent need for that, for that particular point to be mentioned to, in, to enable the reader to understand the narrative. And secondly, that there is clearly spiritual significance to the point, then I take it that that's something God wants us to pay attention to and follow that. And I'll give you an example um, in Acts chapter 20, when the disciples came together on the, on the first day of the week to break bread, to eat the Lord's Supper. Luke, in his writings, never, ever mentions what day of the week something happened, except if it is to say it was the Sabbath day. And, and there's always reason when he does that. Paul went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day because that's where and when you would find Jews gathered together. The fact that in Acts chapter 20, he makes a point of saying it's the first day from the Sabbath or the first day of the week. Why, why does he mention that? There's no reason in the story that has no bearing on the story as far as the immediate narrative is concerned. It in no way helps you to understand the story unless there's spiritual significance to it. And we do see spiritual significance to the first day of the week in as much as all of the gospel writers make a point, that's the day Jesus was raised from the dead. Apparently the church begins in Acts 2 on the first day of the week. The church at Corinth apparently met on the first day of the week, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 16, the first couple of verses. You see a lot of emphasis on the first day of the week because it's the day on which Jesus is raised from the dead and apparently hence why John refers to it as the Lord's day in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 10. And so when we come to Acts chapter 20 and Luke makes a point of saying they came together to break bread or to eat the Lord's Supper on the first day of the week, that's, you could just say, well, that's just an incidental that got, got mentioned. It's neutral. It's neither good nor bad. Wait a minute. It didn't have to be mentioned at all. He mentioned it for some reason, and there's great spiritual significance to it. And so I don't have an underlying instruction somewhere else that tells me that, uh, I need to eat the Lord's Supper on the first day of the week. But in the story itself, it seems to be presented in such a way that I see, oh, this is, I'm supposed to pay attention to this. And so maybe along that same line, let's use that same text for a moment. We mm -hmm. also have the disciples, when they met together, they meet in an upper room, and, the, and that room is well lit. There's mm -hmm. a lot of uh, uh, lights there, a lot of lamps there. Mm -hmm. That's not mm -hmm. the lit like people use the word today. Um, uh, and so, you know, are those then things that ought to be seen as a pattern or do we have a another explanation for that, like explaining uh, the significance of Eutychus falling out a window if it was a first floor window, it wasn't exactly. a big deal, or the fact that the lamps were lit, that may have helped contribute to him uh, dozing off. 
Um, uh, and do we have any other passages that might negate the idea that it is a pattern you have to meet in an upper room on uh, with, with, with lamps lit? Uh, well, we have other passages that show people worshiping in other places at different times, uh, inside buildings, outside of buildings, and so forth. And so we would say, no, that's not a part of a pattern that has to be followed. Those details are given for a purpose within that story itself. Exactly. Well put. All right. We got just half a minute left or so. And Chase is eager. Chase wants to know if it's all right for us to listen to scary stories. He keeps putting notes in our chat here saying, listen, we got it. We got to talk about scary stories. So you would think that Chase is old enough that he wouldn't worry about this. Uh, but there is really a, a legitimate question there. We, we might think didn't, didn't come from Chase. It came it from, did not come from Chase. Yeah. Right. Uh, but I do appreciate the question because we need to be careful of what we're listening to, what we're watching and so forth. But just based on the question without knowing anything, any other background, the Bible is filled with a lot of scary stories, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And it's so in and of itself, there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. If it is contributing to, you know, promoting violence and, uh, you know, gruesome acts or acts that are unethical or uh, ungodly, then that's a different uh, line of thinking there. But just because it's scary would not make it right or wrong in and of itself. All right. Well, we're out of time, guys. Um, thank you for listening to Bible Quest today. And uh, Lord willing, we will see you next week.